very much. It is certainly good to be here, and y'all have been so kind, so gracious uh, to us, and uh, we got to come up a few days early and uh, spend a few days just uh, getting away and spending some time just as a family, and that's been a tremendous blessing, and uh, we've enjoyed the fellowship with your pastor, and uh, he's a very dear friend, and I appreciate, I do appreciate the introduction. Um, we, I, I honestly, I did introductions as, as I was trained, as was tradition, until I had somebody come through that believed their introduction, and I said, okay, I'm done. Uh, but um, at any rate, that's uh, not where we're going to go tonight. So uh, if you wait, grab your Bibles. Let's go to ch- uh, Romans chapter number 16, the book of Romans chapter number 16. And uh, I want to echo the pastor, uh, uh, tour group. Y'all did an amazing job. Thank you so much. And I appreciate, you know, a lot of work, a lot of detail, and a lot of expense goes into that. And uh, you represented yourselves well. I am interested about Flowery Branch. I was a youth pastor in Flowery Branch for two years right out of Bible college. So not a great big place. So we'll have to talk after. I'll have to figure that out. So um, but that's, uh, that's great. I'm glad, excited for you guys. All right, Romans chapter number 16, and uh, we'll read just the uh, first four verses here. And is it your custom to stand? Or Yeah, let's please stand, and uh, we'll read these verses. Uh, Romans chapter 16 and verse number 1, the Bible says, I commend unto you Phoebe, our sister, which is a servant of the church, which is at Chantrea, that ye receive her in the Lord as becometh saints, and that ye assist her in whatsoever business she hath need of you. For she hath been a succor of many, and of myself also. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my helpers in Christ Jesus, who have for my life laid down their own necks, unto whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. And let's bow for prayer. Father, we come before you once again, Lord, just to ask for your mercy, for your help, for your power this evening. Lord, I pray you'd move in our midst when I pray that you would please allow me to be emptied of myself, filled with your power, with your spirit. Lord, may I speak the message that you have for us to hear this evening. Lord, we pray you'd work with liberty and freedom here this evening. It's in the precious name of Jesus we ask these things with thanksgiving. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. And so I'm just going to jump right into the message this evening, and uh, so if you would just uh, bear with me. And so uh, I want to talk to you a little bit tonight about the church. And of course, this is the Apostle Paul writing a letter to that church at Rome, a church uh, that he did not know uh, many of them personally, and uh, many believe that he was writing this letter um, to uh, deal with some uh, um, instruction as far as doctrine and, and things like that, but also here in chapter 16 uh, to introduce Phoebe, uh, who was not native to there, but was going to be uh, joining them, and obviously a church at that point that would have been underground uh, at this point in time in the Roman Empire. All of the Christians, all of the Jews had been expelled from Rome and were, uh, were suffering persecution. And so, um, you know, I, I never thought in my lifetime that I would really experience even a notion of that, um, but I'm sure like it, if it was like it was at our place here um, during parts of 2020 and 2021. Uh, not always were all guests um, just readily welcomed. Um, we, had to, we had to be somewhat circumspect during that time. Uh, I've had the privilege of serving as a law enforcement chaplain for a little over 10 years there. And so I, was, I, I called on a few friends just to kind of find out the do's and the don'ts during those times where we were still trying to figure all those things out. And, you know, nobody knew the right way, but everybody knew the wrong way during COVID. Um, and so um, I called them and because we weren't allowed to have more than a certain number of people and, and all of those things. And so 
uh, we, we had to close our services, which uh, was against every fiber of my being. And so we had, to, we had to post a thing on the front door of who was allowed inside, and it was only members and guests of members. And, um, and I had to be a little bit more cautious about just any person just walking in there. And uh, it, was, it was a very different kind of thing. But this is something that's amazing to me about the Apostle Paul. Not one time in his entire life as a believer was it legal for him to lawfully assemble and worship his God. You know, you and I, we have the privilege and the benefit of, of, of not coming here under threat or any, sort of, uh, or, any, uh, or any sort of fear this evening from oppression because of what we are doing. And we ought to thank God for that. And by the way, we ought to be very careful to preserve that. Uh, but uh, the Apostle Paul didn't have uh, that environment. And his, his, his life uh, spent for Christ was uh, much more riddled with, with suffering and sacrifice than many of us here this evening. And, uh, and so when he was writing to the church at Rome, part of that was to make sure that they would safely... Uh, um, uh, welcome their sister in the faith, Phoebe, into their midst, uh, but also that they would be a blessing to her as they welcomed her into the church. And uh, I don't know about you, but I'm very thankful for the church. And uh, what, what a tremendous thing that, that God uh, handcrafted for us. You know, um, the, the, the very idea of the church age eluded most of the Old Testament prophets. When you read the Old Testament prophets and you, their prophecies, you know, uh, when, when I talk about our Old Testament prophecies with our church, you know, I talk about looking through a scope. And, and sometimes uh, they would look to the days of Christ. Sometimes they would look all the way to the millennium. Um, but it's rare, if ever, that they look to the church age. And they looked at that 69th week of Daniel and the completion on Palm Sunday, and then the 70th week, and they didn't see this 2,000-year gap coming. And, uh, and, and God has allowed that to continue. And he said, he came into his own, his own received him not, but as many as received him. And that's you and me. Um, and so, uh, so we're so blessed tonight to have the opportunity for this to have been extended for this amount of time. And because it has been extended, um, that should weigh heavily on us that there is a work to be done. There's a reason that God has delayed his coming to this point. And you and I have a, a work to do. We have an opportunity to continue to see uh, the church expand. And, and I, I don't know about you, but I don't believe um, that because we are in the last days, that's an excuse. Okay. Let me help you understand something. The last days is an era. It's not the end of an era. The last days began when Jesus ascended. Okay. So we've been in the last days for quite a while. Uh, the apostle Paul um, even thought Jesus would come during his lifetime. Every gospel preaching preacher since that time has had similar ideas because he could come at any moment. But he, because of his great mercy, he's extended the church age and he describes for us what the church is. And uh, the first thing that we, uh, we understand is the church is bought. The church has been redeemed. Acts chapter 2 and verse number 28 says, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. And so uh, the church of the living God was bought. It was redeemed. That word redeemed is ransomed, um, a, a paying the equivalent. And so uh, when the Savior died in our place, sacrificing himself for our sin debt, it was not only that our sin debt would be eradicated and our consequence for sin would not have to be personally dealt with, but also to add us to his church and to be fed by his word. And so we have to ask ourselves this question tonight, is he getting a return 
on his investments. You see, you, you and I have been fitly joined together as part of a, uh, a part of a body and kind of getting ahead of myself a little bit, but um, the church has, has been purchased and God has added us here and he expects to get a return on that investment. And it's, uh, it's, it's high time that you and I realize in, in 2023, even in westernized Christianity, um, we, have to, uh, we have to remember and we have to reconcile in our minds that there is an expectation placed on us and to simply say that God expects something from us after we have received the free gift of salvation is not legalism. It's holiness. And it's time uh, for you and I, as blood-bought believers, to recognize that and to be yielded to the Holy Spirit of God and allowing Him to get a return on that investment where we begin to bear fruit a hundredfold and allow Him to see that flourish. That's why we are still here. And you and I have the benefit of this additional time for the work to be done. And we could go to passage after passage, work for the night is coming. And, and there comes a time when that won't be possible. So you and I, we need to have that intensity. We need to have that mindset that there's a work to be done and we ought to be excited about the opportunity that God has extended it so that you and I could show him our value and we could show him how much we value what he has done. We've been bought and it's time for us to recognize. The second thing I want us to recognize is the church is his bride. It's his bride. Ephesians chapter 5 uh, reminds us of this. And we see it mentioned uh, a couple of different times there. And uh, as, as some of you men, this is probably one of the few passages that you can quote from Scripture. It's Ephesians 5.23. Uh, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. And we have a deacon at our church every time he's asked to pray. He, he tries to get Ephesians 5 uh, in there somehow. Uh, but um, therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands. Husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word. And uh, again, we see coming back to the word, but now with a, a, a relationship in mind. First, we looked at being bought in our redemption. Now we see the, the bride and the relationship that Christ wants to have with his church. Are we faithful to the Lord Jesus as a spouse should be. Are we investing in that relationship to keep it healthy and developing? You see, uh, it, you know, there, it, a lot of times when, when I sit down with a young couple that's preparing for marriage and we'll begin to work through a, a, a series of meetings and, and premarital counseling and begin to, to discuss the idea of all the things they've hoped and dreamed for in a, an amazing wedding and, and with the hope and belief that they've, uh, they've kept themselves for that day and for that person that God has for them, but also beginning to help them to understand that marriage is wonderful and getting to, uh, getting to do life with your best friend is an incredible gift from God, but it also requires a great deal of work and compromise and investment and, and prayer. And, and I mean, there, there are some things that once you get married, you have to learn how to do all over again. You got to learn which end of the toothpaste tube to squeeze. You got to learn where things go. Did you know, nobody warned me about this. Did you know that if you are a male, you do not get to decide where things go in the house. Did y'all know that? I, nobody told me that. I, I was not warned. I, I'm coming to terms with it. It's been almost uh, 17 years. And, uh, and, but, you know, if I put it there and I was planning on coming back to get it and I come back and it's not there, that's because it's not where it goes. 
And now it is where it goes. I don't know where that is, and she's not there, so I can't find it, but it's, it is where it goes, which is what is important. And because if your house is like my house, when people are coming over, we have to pretend we don't live there. And so uh, only, thing allowed on, only thing allowed in sight is furniture. That's it. Uh, and so um, and I, I'm glad y'all could hear me out tonight. I feel so much better. I really feel like we made a connection here. And so, um, but, you know, our relationship, our relationship with Christ, he refers to us as his, as his bride. And it's, it's, not a common, it's not a common description that we find in the New Testament. It is one that's really only used here in one other place as he refers to us in this way. But it's key that we grasp this concept um, because the only two relationships that are even closely comparable in the intimacy that is required is that between a husband and wife and that between an individual believer and their Savior. And there ought to be a healthy and developing intimacy that allows us, you know, when he tells us uh, to pray without ceasing, that doesn't mean that we spend 24-7 locked up in a prayer closet. That means that we have an awareness, a consciousness of Christ everywhere that we go because of that intimate relationship that we have and constantly being in that close frame of mind with him. And so as part of the church, we understand that we are bought. We understand that we are part of this bride. We also understand it is a building, not necessarily a structure like this, uh, but as it is described in 1 Timothy chapter 3, but if I tarry long that thou mayest know how thou ought to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar of and ground of the truth. So the building, it gives us our religion, our system of faith and worship. And we ought to, uh, we ought to recognize that there is a, a sacred function uh, for the house of God and to keep it in good repair and to honor and observe that. Um, but if we, if you and I are recognized as that building, then we ought to also keep ourselves in good repair and being that vessel unto honor and fit for the master's use as he works through us to develop that. And I don't, um, I don't want to belabor the point here, but understanding that uh, we, uh, we are the pillar and ground of the truth. And we live in a day and age where, where truth is not all that popular. Maybe, you, maybe you've gotten a hold of that. And, but it is important that you and I, we walk in truth and we speak the truth in love. And then finally, we are also the body. The body. And that, 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 that regulation, the rule, the order prescribed by a superior. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 uh, is where we find this description. And uh, stick with me for just a few moments, if you would, please. We're just building a foundation here. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and look at verse number 12 if you would. The Bible says, for as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. And so uh, we're, we're part of this body. Jump down to verse 27, and I'm not just cherry picking here. I'm just trying to uh, observe the time. Uh, verse 27, now ye are the body of Christ, and members in particular, and God hath set some in the church, first apostles and secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers, and after that, uh, miracles and gifts and healings, helps and governments and diversities of tongues. And so uh, we find that God has designed this. And if, if we go back and read those intermediate verses there, we find that he uses uh, the human body as an illustration and how he looks at the church and how he designs the church and, and how he adds to the church. And so here through Paul, it's very descriptive in the illustration of the body for the church, and we all have a, a part in the productivity or the lack thereof in the church. Of course, 
we as parts of the body of Christ all share in one duty, and that is producing life. Every organ, every system in our bodies, if it stops allowing blood to flow and it starts carrying new life to the uh, other uh, portions and extremities of the body, then those portions begin to die. And it's not a very healthy body. Well, you and I, we have to accept that responsibility as, as part of the church, part of the body where Christ has designed a, a particular place and a function for each of us. We need to be prepared to take on that responsibility as part of the church according to Christ's design. And so uh, I've often reminded our church and admonished them that um, we should always be very mindful that we never that we never settle for being the church tonsil. How many of you remember that used to be something doctors would do? Just take your tonsils out. And uh, they would just say, hey, we're going to take your tonsils out. It's going to fix everything, but you get ice cream after. And, um, uh, and you know, many, but most of them were taught in schools, uh, lacking a biblical worldview. Most of them were taught in schools um, that the tonsils were vestigial organs. Vestigial meaning that you, your body no longer depends on them because you've, be, you've evolved beyond the, the need for that particular organ simply because you can survive without it. Which is an interesting concept because there are many people that deal with an amputated limb. They're still living without it. I don't think they would call it unnecessary. A tonsil is something that does help the body. It helps with our immune system. But here's the thing. In, 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 in modern medicine, they would just remove that for years and years and years because it took them so long to discover its real purpose. And it took quite a while to really miss it after it was gone. You see, so we ought to have a more significant role in the church than being the church tonsil where we could very easily just be pulled right out and nobody really realize it for quite a while and not be missed. You know, if you're, if you're going to miss a service, listen, you, I, I don't know that I could describe to you, I don't know that I could help you to understand the weight that it is on your pastor and on your ministry leaders to look out in a service and just see your seat empty with no explanation. Now listen, they're going to do their very best to, to exercise charity and think no evil. You know, they're going to try to not think, oh, he must be back in the bar. You know what I mean? They're going to, they're going to try not to go to that length in their minds when they see your seat empty. They're going to, they're going to, they're going to think, did I miss something? Where, was something going on where they, where they called out of town? Did he have to work? Uh, what, 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 may, what might it be other than church attendance just isn't significant enough to rank above whatever has taken their time? And I don't know that I could help you to understand the weight that that is and the, and the distraction that that can become as good ministers of the word. They try to deal very kindly and be very helpful to those that are in attendance while in the back of their minds thinking, what's going on? You know, I've, I've, I've had some of the fellows in our church illustrate this by having them come and, and hold buckets of water. And just sit there and try to hold that whole load and having other folks come and take cups of water and to, and to reduce that burden. Because you know what? We as, a, we as a church family, we need to function in that way where we're, where we're looking out for each other and we're checking up on each other. And it's not only a, a, a pastor and his, and his staff that ought to be checking up to see why somebody is not in their place or why somebody is, is not uh, in line or in, uh, or, or, or in, uh, in agreement with the body. Because could you imagine... If you just had an arm with a mind of its own, that would be rather difficult to operate. You know, could you imagine trying to drink your cup of coffee in the morning and sometimes your hands cooperate, sometimes they just dump it over? 
that would be, that'd be very difficult, wouldn't it? I mean, I, I guess I would just be leaving my coffee trying to figure out how to drink coffee out of a straw off of the counter. I wasn't going to trust my hands. It would, get, it would get very difficult if all of a sudden the body began to work contrary to itself, pretending that there's more than one mind. You know, and, and, and so when you think about this, and, and, it, and it's, it's sometimes it's kind of difficult to designate, but sometimes we think about this, and maybe you're part of the hands that God has called upon to serve in the church, and, and maybe you're part of the legs that, that you go and you, you bring people, uh, uh, you go and get people and bring them into the church, or maybe you're part of the, the, the shoulder that, that's there to, to just give somebody a, a place to lean during difficult times, a shoulder to cry on uh, when they're overwhelmed with a burden, or maybe you're part of that money muscle of the church, and, and you help to contribute so that the process can go forward, and maybe you're part of that eye for the church, and man, you just have that vision and the way that things could be uh, developed and improved, or maybe you're part of the mouth of the church, and we'll just leave that one right there, but um, we, we, all have a, we all have a function, and God has designed it, and it's so important for us to recognize and to celebrate and to invest in what God has for us. In verse 14 through 16, we see not one member, but many. Look here, if you would, please. Chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 14. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, because I am not of the hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear shall say, because I am not the eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And so um, the whole body suffers when the whole body refuses to do their part. I, I'm truly intrigued by the idea of what a local church would look like if the whole body was healthy and functioning. I pray that that would be Grace Baptist Church, but I also pray that that would be Central Baptist Church. A whole body healthy and functioning. Look at verse 17. If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If we could all choose the function we desire to fill, we would have a warped and freakish body that would quickly die. Could you imagine a body where the whole body wanted to be an ear? That would be very odd, wouldn't it? You know, that's an amazing thing about our, our, our anatomy. You know, we're creating the likeness and image of God, and, and he, he designed it in the way uh, that is best suited for us. And I want you to think about something. When you were born, if everything developed as it should, you had two ears and one mouth, and you could hear from the day you were born, but you couldn't talk for a couple of years. And it just so happens you learned the most in the first five years while you struggle to talk the most. Isn't that interesting, the way God designed that? I, I think I, that, that, is, that is so interesting because I find the very same thing is true in our spiritual lives as newborn babes in Christ, and we desire that sincere milk of the word, and then we begin to grow, and we develop into, uh, to, isn't it amazing? He said meat eaters. He didn't say tofu. He didn't say vegetables. It wasn't even free-range chicken. It was just meat, amen, and, uh, and, and, and beginning to develop and to grow, and uh, that development that takes place, but so much happens in those early years, and if we're 100% dependent on the pastor to develop everyone in those first years, now, I didn't come from a large family. You have to ask Brother Aaron this question, but um, we, oftentimes, we see that larger families, the older siblings take on a lot of responsibility for the younger siblings. Parents don't do 100% for all. I lost count, I'm sorry, y'all. Uh, but don't do uh, the same for all that you do when you just have one or two that are close in age. The very same concept could be utilized in the local church if we were doing our part to help those that are coming in. All the weight doesn't go on just those at the leadership level. That body, we want it to be healthy. 
as it hath pleased him. That's the, that's the key statement of this passage. As it hath pleased him. That should be our desire. That should be our focus when we concern ourselves with how God has assembled a, a body as it hath pleased him. So that was my introduction. Message pretty quick. You go back to Romans chapter 16. I know y'all are sitting here thinking, did he read the wrong passage? Uh, I know y'all wouldn't do that. I'm not at home tonight. They would do that to me. Y'all would not do that to me. Romans chapter number 16. And here we find just a couple of people that I want to I mention quickly because I want us to, to recognize something. Phoebe, Priscilla, and Aquila, um, all remarkable figures in the scriptures and, and mentioned a couple of different times. And so we have Phoebe of Chintrea. And Chintrea uh, is between Sparta and Athens. Uh, Sparta being at the southern tip of Greece and then uh, Athens to the north uh, east of there. And Chintrea right in the middle. And she's a, a born again and baptized believer. Uh, but she's not uh, simply a member of the church because you notice the description that is given here. And one that, I, that just amazes me and inspires me by the Apostle Paul. You'll never find him simply mentioning a person's name. When he mentions a person's name in the letter, he always adds to it their value to him for the cause of Christ. And uh, what a wonderful discipline. You know, you and I would do a lot less cutting down. We do a lot less criticizing if it was our nature and it was our habit when we speak a person's name to add after that their value to the body. Phoebe, our sister... Our sister, they never met her, our sister, which is a servant of the church, which is at Chintrea, a servant of the church, one who voluntarily serves another or acts as his minister. This is a manner of living for a child of God. Luke 22 and verse number 27 says, I am among you as he that serveth. Christ is most distinguished and identified in our lives when we are serving others. Philippians chapter 2 and verse number 7 um, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. This always amazes me. What a humbling thought. When God was going to humble himself, he said, now how could I prove my humility so everyone could recognize it? From deity to I'll become a man. And he humbled himself. What arrogance for you and I to take on that satanic spirit, that satanic spirit to challenge God. He humbled himself and became a man of no reputation and took on the form of a servant. This is one of my favorite quotes. I remind myself of this often because I have a flesh and I have a, a, a problem with pride just like everybody else. Listen carefully. You'll never know how much of a servant you are until somebody treats you like one. You'll never know how much of a servant you are until somebody treats you like one. It's all well and good as long as it was my idea. Make it your idea and we got a problem. Our flesh can get involved in a hurry, can it? The objective here is to reveal Christ in us, not to get the glory. The evidence of a crucified and risen life is a willingness to serve. It's a synonym of minister and we should be edifying the body with or without title or position. It is a requirement for those who seek to lead others in their journey of faith. It's a moniker of humility, and it is an attribute only ascribed by others. You know, nobody's ever going to write the book, Humility and How I Attained It, right? The same, could be, the same could be said of those who truly are servants at heart. Verse number two, 
says that ye receive her in the Lord as becometh saints. As becometh saints. You know, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, um, Paul says, called to be saints. You and I, we may refer to each other as believers, as children of God, as Christians. When God looks down from heaven, he refers to us as saints. That's not a special status given to someone after their death by a religious organization. That is an expectation in the life of every born-again person that we are living a sanctified life as saints. And we ought to become saints, and that revolves around ministering to others, seeing their need for the cause of Christ. And then it says that. That's one of those key words. I, I, I love to point this out because the, those, simple, those simple disciplines that we can utilize when studying the scriptures. When you come across that word that, generally what's speaking, God is just going to give a bit of instruction and now he's going to give us his reason. Uh, because he's not, a, he's not a leader that expects, expects blind faith. He does expect obedience, but he always gives us that picture of, hey, here's what we're doing, here's why we're doing it. That ye assist her in whatsoever business she hath need of you. You say, now that sounds awfully demanding. Whatsoever business? Who does she think she is? She's a sister in Christ in need of someone becoming a saint willing to serve. And that was something the Apostle Paul looked to a church that he had never met and said, I believe you guys are up for the challenge. He was, he was entrusting them with the name of the Savior to live it out in a way they claimed to be real in their lives. She hath been a succorer of many and of myself also. She's saying, listen, I'm not asking you to do something for her that she wouldn't be doing for you if you were going to Chintreya. The church under persecution, we covered that and why this was needed. I want to move quickly here. Verse number three, we get to Priscilla and Aquila, my helpers in Christ Jesus. Now, of course, Paul had first met them at Corinth. You can read that in Acts chapter number 18. And uh, he began to, to work with them, and I believe he led them to Christ. And uh, they were both working as tent makers, and, and uh, they uh, spent many hours there together as he began to teach them and to invest in them. Uh, they were probably refugees because of that edict by Claudius that expelled the Jews from their home there in Rome, which now we can see they had returned there because he's greeting them in the letter to Rome. And, um, and so he begins to train them, and now uh, he is, they have been trained, and they have uh, uh, developed in their faith, and now we see them even speaking to Apollos concerning baptism after he goes and kind of makes some havoc there in the church at Corinth, and you know that name because uh, some said, I am of Christ, I'm Apollos, I'm of Cephas, and, um, and so Apollos had come in, and he was a bold uh, preacher and an eloquent man, uh, but they sat him down and expounded unto him more perfectly uh, the way of God, and were able to help him to learn and to grow because of the investment that had been made in them by the Apostle Paul as he had trained them. Even in Paul's absence, they continued that work and they began to, uh, to invest and to train and to disciple others. Here's the point that we're getting to. What we find here in Phoebe, what we find in Priscilla and her husband Aquila, is we find those that were willing to stand in the church as pillars. Pillars. Every local church, every body of believers, every, every local assembly that represents the, the bride of Christ, that building, that pillar and ground of the truth, recognizing that they have been bought, needs pillars. What is a pillar? 
Number one, I want to say this, a pillar is a servant. We've kind of already covered this to a degree, but one that selflessly gives of themselves for Christ and others. Every, I don't think you're ever going to find a local church where a pastor is like, I just don't know what I'm going to do. We have so many servants, I can't find enough for everybody to do. I don't think we're ever going to have that problem. Every local church is in need of those who are willing not to go above and beyond. No, 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 no. Who are willing to fulfill the role that Christ has designed for them. As it pleaseth him. The local church needs pillars. Those who are willing to be servants. You notice this in verse number 2. There are several unnamed but anticipated pillars. Because, their profe- because of their profession of faith, Paul expected them to be willing servants for Phoebe upon her arrival. You see, because we have some that are named here and we see how they're described and the function that they fulfilled and how they invested in the cause of Christ and how they invested in others for the glory of Christ. But here we have an expectation on those who have named the name of Christ, but their names were not even known to the Apostle Paul, but his expectation was that they would be willing servants for someone simply because there was a need. As pillars in the church, we need those who are willing to be servants. Number two, willing to be secures, a burden bearer for those around them. I want you, if you would, please, to just picture for me that, that kind of old world architecture. Maybe you picture uh, the temple, uh, Herod's temple there in Jerusalem, and, and maybe some illustrations that you've seen depicted on Solomon's porch and those massive columns that would have stood and, uh, and held up that large porch that, that would have surrounded uh, the, uh, the temple there inside of those, uh, those porches and, the, and those, uh, those areas inside. Or maybe you think of some of those buildings in Rome and the ruins that you see in those Roman cities. Uh, with those large pillars that would stand, or maybe in Athens, the Acropolis, and, and how it's just that, that rooftop and standing on several pillars. It doesn't take much, and you can see this in so many of the Roman cities, as earthquakes would come through the years, if just a couple of those pillars begin to fold, a lot of times the entire structure goes down with it. You see, to be a pillar... We have to be willing to bear the burdens of others. One of, the, one of the biggest hindrances to the work of God in the local church is people being so overwhelmed with their own burden that they'll never turn it over to Christ. He said, my yokeziti, my burden is light. And in maturity and in faith in the life of believers, we are commanded to bring those to Christ to bear those burdens. And then we are commanded to bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. See, that's exactly. And listen, here's what happens. So oftentimes, you know, I had a lady tell me this one time. She took one of those tests on what was her spiritual gift. And she came back and told me, Pastor, my spiritual gift is, is, is to help others understand where they need to grow. I said, I'm sorry, there's only one Holy Spirit. I don't think that's your spiritual gift. A lot of times that becomes exactly the problem is we start out with the best of intentions to bear one another's burdens, but then we found out something so juicy we just couldn't help but make a passive-aggressive Facebook post. That's not bearing one another's burdens. Bearing one another's burdens oftentimes requires overcoming the overwhelming 
human desire to say something. It means just letting them know that you're there. Just not going through this alone. Just being there, bearing one another's burdens. Hey, how about this? Actually pray. Call me cynical. Call me cynical. I just don't believe. I mean, when Facebook came out with this thing where you could put a prayer request on Facebook and people could mark, I prayed. I'm like, if that was true and all of those people were actually praying, we would have revival. Right? The, 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 the same people marking I've prayed are the same ones that said share this ten times and you'll get, you know. Anyway, um, but a pillar in the church, their servants, their succours, one that knows how to bear the burdens as, as Phoebe had demonstrated in her, in her walk. Third, a pillar has strength. You know, a, a, a pillar, by its own definition, as we look to a pillar, that's exactly what we expect it to see. I mean, when you walk up to a building, if you have to lean and check a pillar before you can lean on it, probably not a good idea to go inside. One of the very, one of the very ideas that is presented in our minds concerning a pillar is its strength. There's a solid belief system. You know, Psalm 1 talks about, uh, talks about that. And, and uh, let's, let's turn there and read there. i got to move quickly here. Psalm chapter number 1. Verse 3, and he should be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Tree planted by the rivers. Multiple sources of nutrition going into that same tree. The scriptures, a prayer life, and preaching from their local church rivers multiple sources of nutrition flowing in that is what allows that strength of a pillar to be established in a local church number four stability somebody that we can lean on and that listen to me listen to me carefully somebody we can lean on and even in 2023 is not easily offended the bible says in psalm 119 verse 165 great peace have they which love thy law and nothing shall offend them. Listen, that is not a get-out-of-jail-free card for being offensive. There is a great truth there. Great peace have they which love thy law. If you love the Bible and you believe the Bible, you have no reason to be offended because you also have a confidence in God's justice and you don't try to do his job, you just do yours and you say so focused there, you don't have time to worry about being offended. Great peace have they which love thy law. God is the judge. It is his law. He ultimately will bring out righteousness as the noonday. You don't have to go and proclaim it for yourself. Just keep doing what you're supposed to do, and God will sort out every bit of it. doesn't even matter if they made the passive-aggressive Facebook post. Let it go. Pillars. We need those that are servants, those that are succorers, those that have strength, those that have stability. But listen to me, and I'm almost done. Those that are satisfied. Listen, to be a pillar, God can no longer be on trial in your mind. Can no longer be on trial. God, 
you know, and, and all of us are tempted. Don't, don't think that just because somebody's a little further down the road or a little bit more experienced in a church culture or a little bit more time in the faith that they don't have these same temptations. All of us have that temptation to make those deals with God. But this is, this is an amazing thing. If God's way is perfect, do you believe that? God's way is perfect. If you and I ask him to alter it, you know what it can't be anymore? Perfect, right? And listen, when God allows hard times to come, it's for one of two reasons. We're, st- we're, we're eating fruit from our own stupidity. Or two, he's preparing us for something we don't know about yet, but he's going to make sure we're prepared when it comes. So it's either strengthening or stupid. That's the two reasons we go through difficult times. And most times, the reason we get so concerned is because we've done so much stupid in our lives. We're like, surely this has got to be it. Thank God for mercy, and we don't have to eat all the fruit. Amen? Uh, But satisfied. He talks about this in 1 Timothy. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Just satisfied. You say, well, how am I supposed to be satisfied on bad days? How about satisfied with the fact that you know it's bad because you've had good ones? You wouldn't know it was a bad day. If that was normal, that'd be really bad. But if that was normal, you wouldn't know it was a bad day because you wouldn't have that contrast of the good days. Being satisfied with him. We have way too many of God's people that don't recognize the gift of the local church and they're not satisfied with what God has designed for them. You ever thought about this? How amazing it is that you have a church right here. You say, well, this person, that, whoa, whoa, whoa. Where's God in that? Isn't it amazing that God, he goes and he finds a man, and he brings him, and he allows him to be ordained an elder, not of a church. Read your Bible more carefully. He ordains elders in every city. That's the reason there's multiple. So he ordains elders in every city, and he says, okay, I'm trusting you to reach these people. And when you reach those people, I'm trusting them to help you to reach others in their own community. That's God's plan. That's God's design. God's design is not for us to be completely comfortable and entertained and satisfied with all of the, with all of the, 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 the fun parts of a local church. No, no, no. You know where God wants us to be satisfied? Read in your Bible and find out how many times he wants you to realize he is enough. Enough. Satisfied. God's no longer on trial. And then finally, steadfast. And we'll close with this. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Very familiar verse. 1 Corinthians 15, 57 and 58. But thanks be to God which giveth us a victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Always. Always abounding. It was mentioned earlier tonight, every single person is called to full-time Christian service. Not every single person is going to be paid by a ministry. You're in full-time Christian service, whether you're a lawyer, a doctor, law enforcement, plumber, electrician, the list goes on and on. Every single one of us ought to always be abounding in the work of the Lord. See, the problem is we have allowed those two ideas to be separated in our minds. The work of the Lord is when I go to church. The work of the Lord is when I'm on outreach. The work of the Lord, no, 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 no. 
if we truly embody who Christ has called us to be, then the work of the Lord is done every time you go to work and you do a good job, not because you want to get paid and not because you want to earn a position and not because you want to impress the boss. You do a good job because you're a Christian and whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, you do it with all your might. And you uphold the name of Christ. You see, we're commanded to be his stewards. And the most, the most incredible and the most valuable thing that he has entrusted to our care is his name. There's a lot of people that are angry at God today, but their anger is misdirected. God didn't do anything to them. Somebody who misrepresented them did. We're always abounding in the work of the Lord. Hey, Central Baptist Church needs some pillars. I hope the Lord has used this message tonight to challenge your faith. Would you stand to your feet? Heads.